Hello there. So let's today start with chapter 3, The Path of Direct Experience. Direct experience is the highest of all ways of gaining knowledge. All other means are only fragments. In the path of self-realization purity, one-pointedness and control of the mind are essentials. An impure mind hallucinates and creates obstructions. But an orderly mind is an instrument for direct experiences. Direct experience alone is the means. One day, my master told me to sit down. He asked, are you a learned boy? I could say anything to him, however outrageous. It was the only place where I could be completely frank. I was never sorry, no matter what I told him. He used to enjoy my foolishness. I replied, of course, I am learned. He asked, what have you learnt and who taught you? Explain it to me. Our mother is our first teacher, then our father, and then our brothers and sisters. Later, we learn from the children with whom we play, from teachers at school and from the writers of books. No matter what you have learnt, you have not learnt a single thing independently of others. So far, all that you have learned is a contribution from others and from whom they have they learned. They have also learned from others. Yet, as a result of all this, you, can, you call yourself learned. I pity you because you have not learned anything independently. You have apparently concluded that there is no such thing as independent learning in the world. Your ideas are the ideas of others. I said, wait a minute, let me think. It was shocking realization that whatever I had learnt was nothing of my own. If I put yourself in my place, you may well have the same feeling. The knowledge on which you depend is not at all your knowledge. That is why it is not satisfying, no matter how much of it you possess. Even if you have mastered an entire library, it will never satisfy. Then how can I be enlightened? I asked. He said, by experimenting with this knowledge that you have acquired from outside, Find out for yourself with the help of your direct experience. Finally, you will come to a conclusive and fruitful stage of knowledge. All knowledge is in vain if it is not direct. Indirect knowledge is of course informative, but not fulfilling. All wise people throughout history have gone through great pains in order to know truth directly. They were not satisfied by the mere opinions of others. They were not frightened off from this quest by the defenders of orthodoxy and dogma, who persecuted and sometimes even executed them because their conclusions were different. Since that time, I have tried to follow his advice. 
I have found that direct experience is the final test of the validity of knowledge. When you have known truth directly, you have the best kind of confirmation. Most of you go to your friends and give your viewpoint. You are seeking confirmation in their opinions. Whatever you think, you want others to confirm it by agreeing with you to say, yes, what you think is right. But somebody else's opinion is no test of truth. When you know truth directly, you do not need to ask your neighbors or your teacher. You don't have to seek confirmation in books. Spiritual truth does not need an external witness. As long as you doubt, it means you have yet to know. Tread the path of direct experience until you attain that state where everything is clear, until all of your doubts are resolved. Direct experience alone has access to the source of real knowledge. Real knowledge removes suffering. Self-reliance is important. It comes when you start receiving experiences directly from within. No doubt you need a teacher, you need a guide. I am not telling you that you should not learn things from other people or that you need not study books. But I have met people who did not even know the alphabet. And yet, whenever we had a difficulty in understanding some profound truth or scripture, they alone could give us a solution. Once I was teaching the Brahma Sutras. It is one of the most abstruse books in the Vedantic literature. Aphorisms which I myself did not really understand, I explained to my students and they seemed satisfied. But I was not. So in the evening, I would go to Swami who had not actually studied scriptures. He couldn't even sign his name, yet his knowledge was unmatched. He said, you will never understand these terse aphorisms if you do not have direct experience. Then he told me the story to help me understand the difference between direct and indirect knowledge. A master had a student who had never seen a cow nor tasted milk. But he knew that milk was nutritious. So he wanted to find the cow, milk it and drink the milk. He went to his master and asked him, Do you know anything about cows? The master answered, Of course. The student requested, Please describe a cow to me. So the master described a cow. A cow has four legs. It is tame, docile, animal, not found in the forest but in villages. Its milk is white and is very good for your health. He described the type of tail and ears it has, everything. After this description, the student went in search of a cow. On the way, he came across a statue of a cow. He looked and thought, this is surely what my master described to me. By chance, that day, some people who lived nearby were whitewashing their house. 
and there was a bucket of whitewash near the statue. The students saw it and concluded this must be that milk which they say is so good for you to drink. He gulped down some of the whitewash, became terribly ill and had to be taken to a hospital. After he recovered, he went back to his master and angrily charged. You are no teacher, his master asked. What's the matter? The student replied, your description of a cow was not at all accurate. What happened? He explained. And the master asked, did you milk the cow yourself? No, that is why you suffered. The cause of suffering among intellectuals today is not because they don't really know. They know a little. But what they know is not their own knowledge. And that is why they suffer. A little or partial knowledge is always dangerous like partial truths. A partial truth is not true at all. So, in the case with partial knowledge, the wise directly perceive truth. The sage who did not even know the alphabet of any language would always remove my doubt. Systematic study under a self-realized and competent teacher helps in purifying the ego. Otherwise, scriptural knowledge makes one egotistical. He who is called an intellectual man today only collects facts from various books and scriptures. Does he really know what he is doing? Feeding intellect with such a knowledge is like eating a food with no food value. One who constantly eats such a food remains sick and also makes others sick. We need many teachers and they all teach well. But a student can assimilate only that which is unalloyed and comes directly from self-experienced teachers. A mantra for happiness. Mantra is a syllable, a sound, a word or a set of words found in the deep state of meditation by the great sages. It is not the language in which human beings speak. Those sounds which are received from the superconscious state lead the seeker higher and higher until he reaches the perfect silence. The more awareness is increased, the more mantra reveals new meaning. It makes one aware of a higher dimension of consciousness. Exploiting the noble tradition by selling mantras in the marketplace is absurd. Mantra is exactly like a human being having many sheets. Gross, subtle, more subtle and subtlest. Take for example, um, these three letters actually represent the three states, waking, dreaming and sleeping or the three bodies, gross, subtle and more subtle. But the fourth state or the finest body of the mantra is formless, soundless and indefinable. A student, if he understands the process of Laya Yoga, dissolution can know the formless body and superconsciousness of mantra mantra is very powerful and essential a compact form of prayer 
if remembered constantly it becomes a guide i used to collect mantras like people collect material objects hoping that some mantra i was about to receive would be better than what i already had sometimes i would compare myself to other students and think my mantra is better than his mantra i was very immature i call it crazy spirituality there was a swami who lived quietly deep in the himalayas between uttarakashi and harsil i went to see him and when i arrived he asked what is the purpose of your coming i told him i want to receive a mantra you will have to wait he replied when westerners go to someone for a mantra they are prepared to spend a lot of money but they don't want to wait i tried the same thing i said swami ji i am in a hurry then come next year he said if i stay now how many days will i have to wait i asked you will have to wait as long as i want you to wait he replied so i waited patiently one day two days three days still the swami wouldn't give me a mantra on the fourth day he said i want to give you a mantra but promise that you will remember it all the time i promised he said let's go to the ganges countless sages have done spiritual practices on the banks of sacred ganges and have been initiated there i stood by the river and said i promise i will not forget this mantra i repeated this promise several times but he still delayed at last he said no matter where you live live cheerfully this is the mantra be cheerful at all times even if you are behind bars anywhere you live even if you have to go to a hellish place create heaven there remember my boy cheerfulness is of your own making it only requires human effort you have to create cheerfulness for yourself remember this mantra of mine i was both very happy and very sad because i had expected him to give me some unusual sound to repeat but he was more practical i applied this mantra in my life and find it successful everywhere his spiritual prescription seems to be the best of physicians a real key for healing oneself a mantra for bees there is a type of mantra called apta mantra which belongs uniquely to the particular sage who imparts it i want to tell you about an experience i had with such a mantra there one was a swami who lived in a small hut across the river from rishikesh in order to get there you had to cross the ganges on a swinging rope bridge at that time rishikesh was not overly populated wild elephants sometimes came at night and ate the straw from the walls and roof of our huts while we were sitting inside 
they would come in big herds of thirty or forty and would sometimes eat half of a hut. Tigers also roamed about. It was quite, still quite primitive. Following my master's directions, I went to stay with that Swami across the river. Early in the morning, Swamiji would go for a dip in the Ganges and I would go with him for I was expected to follow the customs wherever I stayed. After our baths, we would take the twig of a tree, crush its end and make it into a brush to clean our teeth. We would do this every day. Swamiji's disciple would climb up a tall tree and pull off a branch to make the toothbrushes. One day, Swamiji climbed the tree himself. He didn't usually do that, but this time he wanted to show me something. He was over 70 years old, but he climbed the tree easily. There was a hive of wild bees in that tree, but he made no effort to avoid it. On the contrary, he climbed up to that very branch and started talking to the bees. From down below, I shouted, Swamiji, please don't disturb the bees. I covered my head because I thought if they are disturbed, they will also sting me. They were, they were large and dangerous bees. So dangerous, in fact, that if 10 or 20 were to sting you, you might not survive. The Swami pulled off a bright branch right by the hive, but the bees were not aroused. He came down safely and said, Now you go up and pluck a branch for yourself. I replied, I don't need one. I can live without it. Then I added, If you want me to climb the tree, first tell me the mantra that protected you. During that time, I was fascinated with mantras and I wanted to know his mantra because I wanted to show people what I could do. That was my purpose. The Swami said that if I climbed the tree, he would tell me the mantra. So I climbed up to the height. He said, go nearer and talk to them face to face. Say, I live here alongside you and I don't harm you. Don't harm me. I said to Swamiji, that is not a mantra. He replied, do as I say, talk to the bees. Your lips should be so close, you can whisper to them. I asked, how do they know Hindi? He answered, they know the language of the heart. So they know all the languages. Just talk to them. I was skeptical, but I did exactly as he instructed. And I was surprised that the bees did not attack me. I said, Swamiji, are they tame? He laughed and said, don't impart this mantra to anyone, for it will work only for you. Don't forget what I am telling you. Later, when I traveled to more populated areas, I would usually stay outside the city in a garden and people would come to see me there. I was young and immature and wanted to boast. I would climb the tree and casually take some honey from the hive without incurring a single sting. It was always a surprising feat. When I was in Bivani, Punjab, 
a goldsmith whom I knew well requested, please give me the mantra. I agreed, forgetting that the Swami told me it would not work for anyone else. I told him how to talk to the bees. He climbed up to a hive and repeated the mantra, but it didn't work. The bees attacked him, hundreds of bees at once. He fell from the tree and we had to rush him to the hospital, where he reminded <clears throat> sorry, where he remained in a coma for three days. I was worried, thinking, suppose I have killed this poor man? I prayed continuously that he would be spared. On the third day, I was astonished to see the Swami who had given me the mantra appear at the hospital. He said, what have you done? Through your showing off, you have nearly killed someone. Let this be a final lesson to you. The man will recover in the morning, but I am withdrawing the power of this mantra from you. You can never use it again. Since that time, I have been more cautious. Sometimes the words of a great man can have the effect of, the, of a mantra. Whenever any great man speaks to you, you should accept his words as mantras and practice them. Thank you for listening. Let's continue it tomorrow.